The Texas Rangers continue their winning ways as they take Game 1 of the American League Championship Series over their in-state rival Houston Astros. Can the Diamondbacks do the same in Philadelphia with the first game of the NLCS tonight? Plus, the 100-win teams go belly-up in the division series. Is the week layoff the issue? What about scheduling? The Niners and Eagles fall from the unbeaten ranks as the last two left in the NFL as I recap Week 6. Are the Washington Huskies a threat to make the college football playoff after their wild win versus Oregon on Saturday? Austin Matthews is off to a torrid start as the Maple Leafs hope for a magical season. And the association tips off a week from tomorrow. I'll have the latest there. Glad to be back as I'll share my getaway overseas and bring you up to speed on everything that's going on in sports. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's doing well feeling fantastic and excellent spirits back in the new york and podcast groove as i roll up my sleeves and get you all caught up in the toy department of life called sports as this is the j reels podcast with your host j reels for my first timers welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning somewhere in the middle or even as early as two thursdays ago I welcome you guys and gals back, and yes, after a week off where I celebrated my second wedding anniversary with my lovely wife overseas, the first three days in Paris, the next three days in Rome, and all I can tell you, for those who have never visited those two cities overseas, you definitely have to go. Rome has a lot more history, and you really feel it in your bones as far as visiting the usual landmarks and the places that you must hit when you're there, i.e. the Colosseum. The Vatican City, which is mind-blowing, to say the least. It makes St. Patrick's Cathedral, no offense to the heavens above, but it makes St. Patty's look like a doghouse. When you go to St. Peter's Basilica and the Sistine Chapel, it is otherworldly. And Paris is very charming when you take a walk, and it's a very good walking city. Rome, not so much, although it has its moments. But Paris, you could definitely walk to the Eiffel Tower and to the Louvre, the huge museum there, which is also mind-blowing. We didn't even get the chance to go inside, but just knowing the building, the way it was structured, goes back almost a thousand years. And when you really take the breadth of everything around that museum, 
just from the outside, it really hits you to the point where you can only imagine what's inside. Of course, the Mona Lisa being the most famous painting of all. But it was a wonderful trip. The weather was impeccable. I wish I could have bottled it up and brought it home, even though today it's going to be in the mid-60s and sunny. But nothing beats anywhere between 78 to 82 degrees, a few clouds, nothing but sun. In Rome, you couldn't even find the cloud, even if they paid you. But it was just a remarkable trip. Wish it could have been a little bit longer, of course, when you're overseas, long flights like that, where you're going seven hours out and nine to nine and a half back. It certainly makes for a compact trip, but nevertheless, it was outstanding. It was fabulous. It was lovely. And as I mentioned at the very top, now I'm back in the podcast in New York Groove, getting ready to crank out the rest of this month, heading into the final two months of the year, and 2024 is going to be big. I'm just going to leave it at that as we count down the final few days here, or really two weeks here of October, and we're going to start off, speaking of which, with baseball. I'm not getting into the NFL right now. It's been a slog these first six weeks. The schedule yesterday was indicative of that, even though you had two unbeaten teams go by the wayside, and we'll get into that later on. But as we get closer to the end of this month and the end of a baseball season, and I'm going to talk big picture here since I was out the last 10 days, and before I even get into the LCS, which started last night in the American League, and then tonight you'll have Arizona and Philadelphia in the National League, the big picture here, what we've heard over the last few days leading into this weekend was the layoff hurting the 100-win teams in particular, whether it was Baltimore, the Dodgers, or even the Atlanta Braves. And I'll start off with the Orioles since they were the first team out. I thought the Rangers would win this series. I thought they would win in five. I thought that this would be a bigger stage for Baltimore, knowing that they had all the success in the regular season, 101 wins, tooth and nail with Tampa. But for whatever the reason, I wasn't sold on their starting pitching. And not to say that Texas has been a mainstay in the postseason over the years, but considering their manager, Bruce Bochy, and even though they stumbled down the stretch to where they were unable to win the division, they had to fly from Seattle to Tampa to start off the wild card round and won those two games there. And for whatever the reason, they had a lot of gas in their tank. And even after a tough game one that the Orioles lost, They weren't able to find their footing to the point where they pretty much got blown out the rest of the series and they were not to be heard from. And I get it. When you're the Baltimore Orioles and you have a young team and you're on the come up, even though the ownership is dicey because they're going to have to sign these players at some point, but you do have a future that does look bright. And even with the big regular season that you had, winning the division for the first time in forever, really nine years, it still leaves a bad taste in your mouth knowing what could have been that you had the one seed and the American League going through your building and to show up the way you did and not show out, maybe not a bitter disappointment, but very disappointing to say the least. That's number one. Number two are the Dodgers, and this one nobody saw coming. To have the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that lost its last four games of the regular season, got swept by the Houston Astros in their building to back into the postseason, all right, they beat the Brewers in the wildcard round, won the two games, and then now had to face the Dodgers, their division rival, if you want to even call it that. But for them to just beat the brakes off of their starting pitching, Clayton Kershaw, as we've seen time after time after time in the postseason, is a mere mortal in comparison to what he's shown during the regular season. And we all know he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, three-time Cy Young Award winner, all the dominance in the regular season. 
He couldn't even get out of the first inning there in game one, which was a precursor to what lied ahead for the Dodgers the rest of the series because their starting pitching couldn't even get out of the third inning throughout those first three games, whether it was Kershaw, whether it was Bobby Miller, the lights being way too bright for him, the rookie pitcher. And I get it that their starting rotation was screwed up from the beginning where you had no Walker Bueller, no Dustin May, no Tony Gonsolin, and then, of course, Julio Urias, who had the domestic violence situation, and who knows if he's ever going to be on a pitching mound in the major leagues in the years to come. But that's no excuse. You have to find a way to beat a young, although upstart, Arizona Diamondback team who just beat the brakes off of them. And nobody, like I said, I don't care who you are. I don't want to hear from the 45 Diamondback fans outside of the Arizona area to think that they had any shot in hell to not only beat the Dodgers, but to sweep them. And that's what you saw. And give them all the credit in the world, 100%. But when you have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman go 1 for 21 combined on top of the woeful starting pitching, the Dodgers meekly go into the night and into the offseason with a bunch of questions that need to be answered. And it's not all on the manager. I get people want to get on Dave Roberts, etc. But he had no pitching. And when you have no pitching, how do you expect to get out of this round? Now, I thought the Dodgers would sweep as I got that prediction half right. But for them to just fall apart the way they did and couldn't even stay in any of these games, 9-0 after the first two innings of game one, Arizona just was on a rampage. And not to say that the next two games by any stretch were blowouts, but you got to wonder, where were the Dodger bats? And we understand the bottom of the order, it's not stout, it's not one through nine, like some of the other lineups that are still around in baseball, i.e. the Texas Rangers and even the Philadelphia Phillies for that matter, but still... They were a no-show and a major disappointment there. So we go from very disappointing Orioles, major disappointment for the Dodgers, and now the bitter disappointment of the Atlanta Braves, 104 wins, cruise to an NL East division title, and all they had standing in their way was a Philadelphia Philly team that swept the Marlins, no big whoop there. But you want to talk about exacting some revenge from last year, And we get it, last year was a season that the Braves had to come all the way from a 10.5 game deficit, albeit May 31st, where the Mets were in first place. They beat them in that final weekend of the regular season, as we know. And then in the division series, they split those first two games in Atlanta before losing that series, where you could understand after coming off of a World Series championship and then coming from behind all summer long to win a division and then run out of gas in the division series, all right, we could give them a break. This time around, absolutely not. And I don't want to hear about their pitching, and I don't want to hear about all their lineup just wasn't intact. No, no, I don't want to hear any excuses. Because if it wasn't for an uprising in game two, where they were down 4 nothing going into the bottom of the sixth, and them scoring five runs in the final three innings to win, and even though a lot of the momentum, and maybe there was a, a lot of that pressure that was let out of the balloon by Atlanta to know that they were back in the series. And then, of course, the comment made by Orlando Arcia, the shortstop, talking about Attaboy Harper with that base running gaff that he had in the ninth inning. And that was a bad base running play. I get it. You could say it was no big deal. Chances are that the Braves would have won that game. But Harper knows better not to get cut off there or picked off there as he rounded second base. Michael Harris making a nice catch in center field. But to me, he had to be a little bit more heads up than that. But be that as it may, even after those comments that fueled the Phillies 
where Bryce Elder was your number three starter and got pounded left and right with six home runs, two by Bryce Harper as he's staring down Arcia, rounding second base. And then in game four, where Spencer Strider gives up three home runs and five and a third, Nick Castellanos is a conquering hero. And then the Atlanta Braves, who their offense tied for the most home runs by a team in Major League Baseball history with the Minnesota Twins of four years ago, 307 in the bank. Couldn't even muster up, it seemed like, any runs other than what happened there in Game 2 in those final three innings. Just a flat-out embarrassment and just a gigantic bitter pill to swallow if you're a Brave fan. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any excuses with the Braves this year because it was all set up. They won a division by plenty and they had the Phillies ready to pounce on them to do whatever it took to get back at them from last year and all they did was go belly up in this brief four-game series because it was a dominating fashion, a gentleman sweep, if you want to call it that, because the Phillies should have won in three. But thanks to the heroics of Austin Riley and Travis Darno in game two, thwarted that. And now you have a situation where you have those 300-win teams out. So the question now bodes the week layoff, the five days between the end of the regular season and the start of the division series, is it too much of a layoff? Well, that hasn't hurt the Houston Astros. And I understand they played the Minnesota Twins who finally won a playoff series for the first time forever. And although they were competitive, and I did think to myself that they were going to split in Minnesota before going, or I should say split in Houston before going to Minnesota where the Astros took care of business. But for Houston, they don't seem to have a problem with that. But for the Dodgers, Atlanta, two years in a row, out after the division series, and the Orioles, you want to say that they were a little bit green here? All right, fine. But to me, I think it's more the schedule than it is the layoff. Because as we saw this year in the National League, unlike last year because it was to the American League's disadvantage, the National League, when they started their division series, it was Saturday, day off Sunday, game Monday, day off Tuesday. And then games Wednesday, Thursday, although it didn't apply to the Dodgers as Arizona took care of business in three. But why the days off? That doesn't make any sense. If you're going to start the division series, start it Saturday with the American League team, play their two games. You had the National League play the four games, and maybe they were trying to avoid the NFL in that regard to just play the two games as opposed to the four, starting from whether it be 107 or 207 and so on. If they were trying to do that, all right, fine. But still, forget about the NFL. You can't worry about them because it doesn't matter when those games are being played. They're going to be a ratings bonanza regardless. So you're going to have to play out your postseason the way you have years past. Play the two games, whether it's American League to start or National League. Then you have the four games. Then you'll have the National League play their two back-to-back from Sunday to Monday. Day off for the AL that Monday, Tuesday picks up with the AL, with the NL off, and then Wednesday you have your four teams play where you have nothing to go up against. No NFL Thursday night or Wednesday night in this case. You don't have to worry about that. Why tweak your schedule? Because it throws everybody off. Think about this. For the Braves and Dodgers this go around, they had the five days off, one game, then a day off, another game, then a day off. What kind of schedule is that? What is this, the NHL playoffs? It's ridiculous. And of course they have to reseed after that. The Phillies shouldn't be playing the Braves here in this division series. It should have been the worst seed, which was Arizona. They should have played 
the Atlanta Braves in the division series where the Phillies would have gone to LA to play the Dodgers. Hopefully they change that this offseason. I talked about that before and that's another story. But as far as the scheduling, I think that screws up everything. And I get it. You can look at the Astros and say, well, it hasn't bothered them. It is weird to have the wild card in a sense where these teams have five days off. But you know what? Even with the five days off, suck it up. I'm sure a lot of those teams who had meaningless games down the stretch, whether it was Atlanta, LA, maybe not so much Baltimore, although they were in control of the AL East because they had that two to three game advantage over Tampa Bay in the division. But I don't want to hear it. Figure it out. Find a way. No excuse for that layoff. And I get it that it may take you a couple of at-bats or maybe a few swings or whatever, a few innings to get your bearings to finally get into the flow of Major League Baseball after taking five days off because we all know baseball is a marathon day after day after day and five days off may feel like five weeks off. But one more time, figure it out. So to me, I think more of the schedule than it is with the layoff. So maybe the powers that be in the MLB offices could revise that go into next year with a much cleaner slate and a much more seamless schedule as opposed to bringing it up in the division series, whether last year for the American League or especially this year for the National League. And last night you had a game one of the ALCS with the Rangers and Astros, and I call them the in-state rivals. Now, this is the first time that they're playing in the postseason, and I get it that they're hundreds of miles apart, but there's not really a rivalry between the two. Maybe this will... Garner some juice. Maybe there'll be some nastiness. We did see some of that in the regular season earlier this year with some brushback pitches, etc. But I think in order for this to be a series, Houston must win the night. And as we've seen throughout the regular season and even early on in this postseason, they are terrible in their own building. And it's inexplicable. They split those two games, as I mentioned, with the Twins. They lose last night and get shut out by the Rangers behind Jordan Montgomery. And boy, talk about a guy that the Yankees... I'm sure Brian Cashman has to be kicking himself. And I'm not trying to make Jordan Montgomery out to be Whitey Ford. But for Montgomery and what he's done ever since he left the Yankees, and a lot of that's attributed to Yadier Molina as when he was traded to the Cardinals, a lot of his mechanics and a lot of the things that he was screwing up here as a member of the Yankees, he was able to fix in no time. Because remember, that trade was midseason and Montgomery was actually very steady if not spectacular, throughout the latter half of that season and even going into this year without Molina. But now here he is in October putting up good starts, whether it was against Tampa and now here against the Houston Astros to the point where you have to wonder whether or not the Rangers could be on a fast track to maybe winning this series. Now, I understand it's one game. Can't get crazy. Can't all of a sudden just put a lid on this series, but... The Astros, they need to win the night if they're going to win the series. And that's not going out on a limb, considering that the scene will shift to Arlington after tonight. But I thought that the Astros, going more with my gut and their track record, I picked them to win in six. Because how I looked at it was, if they split these first two, I could see them winning two in Texas or in Arlington. And then come back to win a game six in their building. Now, that's looking very dubious at the moment. And you can't underestimate the heart of a champion as we know. And that's why I picked them. Although it was very lukewarm on me because if you watch my YouTube channel and I put up a little quick preview of it, I thought to myself that 
it would be dicey for them to even come back up 3-2 because as we've seen in the past, now mind you that was a World Series, they won those three games in Washington before losing the last two at home. And I can see the Astros even doing that if they're up 3-2 coming back. So I think Texas has a good shot. Obviously them winning yesterday behind the two runs, the home run by Leotis Tavares, and then you had a situation in the eighth inning with Chapman with Altuve on first and Bregman hitting a ball to the deepest part of the ballpark where it brought back memories of the 2019 ALCS where in that same vicinity, Jose Altuve hit the walk-off home run to go on to a World Series, but of course it had the range, but definitely did not have the length to where it was caught at the warning track and then brought back to where Altuve was doubled up off of first base, the only threat that the Astros had there late in the game, and they were able to survive and win a game one and put themselves in good stead to win a game two tonight where they'll have Nathan Nivaldi going up against Framber Valdez. So they're going to need a big start from Valdez, the Astros, if they want to get themselves back in the series and go on the road for three straight to see if they can take two out of three and bring it back to Minute Maid with a game advantage to see if they can go back to the World Series for, count them, the fifth time in seven years, three in a row, and to see if they can defend their World Series victory from last year. And as far as the National League, you got to give Arizona credit. They're another team that's undefeated, like the Rangers. Rangers are now 6-0 and in this postseason. And the Diamondbacks are 5-0. and And I'm not going to take this team lightly, although I don't think they're going to win the series, but they're going to scratch and claw and going to be a tough out. Now, Merrill Kelly... And Zach Gallen, a good duo at the top of the rotation for the Diamondbacks. Doesn't match with Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. But they can at least go mano a mano. And even with the Diamondbacks and what they've been able to do here so far. And put guys in a lineup that you never even heard of. Guys like Christian Walker. I know people know who Corbin Carroll is. Who's going to be the likely rookie of the year in the National League. The Ketel Martes of the world, the Geraldo Perdomos, the Alec Thomases, guys like that, that people, like I said, if you try to pick them out of a lineup, you're going to be looking around saying, I don't even know half of these guys. Oh, wait, third base, I know Evan Longoria. I thought he was still on Tampa, where obviously he went to San Francisco and then to Arizona, as we know. But the Phillies, with all their moxie and having to overcome the words by Arcia, at the end of game two, talking about Attaboy Harper as he blurted that out in the post-game celebratory mood from the Braves and then using that as fuel to just pounce and destroy Atlanta from there on out. And we know that this cast of characters, whether it's Harper, Castellanos, Schwarber, Bohm, Stott, we could throw in Trey Turner, who made a contribution here in this postseason so far. They're going to be a tough out. And the one way, or I would think of it this way, if you're Arizona, you have to get back to Philadelphia up 3-2 if you have any chance of winning this series. That's the only way they're going to win. So they would have to split here, get two out of three in their building before coming back to Philly to see if they could seal the deal and go on to a World Series. Besides that, I don't see it. I think they're going to be tough. I think they're going to be scrappy. I think they're going to fight hard. But, And I don't think they're going to be afraid of the Phillies. I really don't. Because they just beat the Dodgers. So why would they be afraid of the Phillies? But I will say this. That crowd could have an impact on that young Diamondback team. 
And they're going to have to play from in front. If they don't, it could be a quick series. Phillies in five. I'm going to say Phillies in six because of everything that's been rallied around this team, not only just this year, but going back to last year. That improbable postseason run to a World Series where they got to a game six before losing to the Astros in the Fall Classic. And now, after beating the Braves again, and even though they can't look at their opponent and just all of a sudden think that they could throw their gloves out there and put their bats in the batter's box and think that they're going to run away with the series. Arizona, I think they're going to mean business. But how much business is the big question mark? And whether or not this stage is going to be way too bright for them, knowing that the crowd is going to be hostile, that they're, like I said, they're going to have to play from in front, and that once the Harper, Schwarber, Turner, Castellanos-led offense, even Rio Muto, can't forget him, if they go right out of the gate flying, shot out of a cannon... Like I said, this could be a tall order for them. But if they are tooth and nail and they hang in there and they keep it within reason, a run or two, whether from in front or behind, they'll have a shot. But one more time, I'm picking the Phillies to win in six to go on to a World Series. And I know the suits at Fox, they are hoping and praying. No offense to the Diamondbacks, their organization, that region, etc. But if the Diamondbacks somehow, someway win this series... Fox, they're going to be taking a bath as far as the worst ratings that the World Series has ever seen. And as it is, it's declined over the years, which is sad to say. And we understand baseball is not part of the forefront or on everybody's consciousness when it comes to sports, especially this time of year, because everything is the NFL and college football. But if it's Arizona, Texas, or Arizona, Houston, good luck. They need Philadelphia to come out of the National League. And even if it's Philly, Texas, or Philly and Houston. Now, obviously, Philly and Houston will be a rematch from last year. Philly and Texas will be a bookend when you think about it because Philadelphia opened the season in Texas the first three games. So when you think about it from a symmetry standpoint, if it is Philly and Texas, there you go. They'll bookend their years with them starting the season, playing against one another, and then having a chance to fight out for a World Series title. But Arizona, if they're in the World Series, they're going to draw flies. Sad to say. I don't care if they sweep the Phillies and beat them 8-1 in each game and become a juggernaut being a team that would win, when you add it all up, nine games to head into a World Series to see if they can run the table. That's not a storyline that a lot of people, even the casual sports fan, will wrap their arms around. So it's going to have to be Philly there in the National League. And then maybe a lot of people would want Houston. And I would think maybe even a majority would also want Texas there because they're sick of seeing the Astros in the World Series. So let's see how this shakes down. Tonight you have at 8.07 Arizona and Philadelphia. And then of course, I believe what, 4.37 game two between Texas and Houston coming your way later today. And then one other thing, the San Francisco Giants have interviewed Alyssa Nacken, who has been a part of the coaching staff over the last four years on the Giants and has been granted or has been interviewed for the managerial position. That's right, to be the manager of a Major League Baseball team. Now, is she going to get it? Who knows? I know that they're in the process of sorting out candidates and interviewing a bunch of other potential 
targets to be the next manager since Gabe Kapler was let go. And I thought a little bit unfairly, if you ask me. But knowing that Nacken has an opportunity to make history, to be the first woman to be a head coach or manager in any of the major professional sports here in North America, I'm all for it. I'm here for it, and I hope it happens. And I'll just leave it at that. Why not? If she's cut her teeth and knows the inner workings of a major league clubhouse and has the credentials to do so, we get it that once upon a time, Becky Hammond, who was patrolling the sidelines there as, as an assistant with Greg Popovich in San Antonio, and now she's a coach, obviously, in the WNBA, but for her to even get an opportunity, maybe somewhere down the line, to coach an NBA team, one more time, I'm here for that as well. Let the women get their chance. Let them get their shot. So, for Nacken, all the best to her. We will keep our fingers on the pulse with the story and see who will be the next manager of the Giants, whether it's her or someone else. But I had to bring that up because if that were to happen, and we've seen the front office when it comes to having executives become GMs or vice president of baseball operations, as we've seen in Miami with Kim Ng with the Marlins. So let's see if Nat can get this job. And again, historic is an understatement. This would be revolutionary so let me turn my attention now to the NFLs I put on my helmet and shoulder pads and we're third into the season remember 18 weeks people I know 17 games but now that we're past week six a third of the way in for starters the NFL and here I am throwing cold water on it it has been a snooze fest I know we've had some interesting stories with the way the Niners have played and the Philadelphia Eagles and we heard a double dose of champagne popping in South Florida whether your name is Bob Greasy, Larry Zonka, Mercury Morris because the last two undefeated teams or unbeaten teams in the sport were gone in a matter of hours and I'll start off with the first one in the 1 o'clock window with the San Francisco 49ers now they went to Cleveland with no Deshaun Watson who's been out with a shoulder injury And Brock Purdy, as we talked about time after time, we need to see him in a big spot, trailing on the road, not to say it has to be a hostile environment, and he had by far his worst game as a pro, and not to put it all on him, despite the fact he had terrible numbers, because he did lose Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey in the game, so not having his full weaponry certainly hurt, but even with the Browns, who were handing the game away thanks to P.J. Walker throwing that terrible interception which led to a touchdown there at 13-10 and then they made it 17-13 but the Niner offense didn't do anything after that actually they had gone three and out before the Browns were able to march down the field to kick two field goals to win or to take the lead 19-17 and even though Purdy on that final drive did set them up for a game-winning field goal that went wide right. So you have to get him for Purdy then. But what happened to the prior two series before that? You could say, you could argue whether or not that he was unable to at least get them down the field to set themselves up to maybe get an early attempt for a game-changing or a game-leading field goal as opposed to a game-winning one at the very end. But you got to give him credit for at least having them march down the field to set themselves up. But I still need to see more from Purdy in big spots. And for him, that was a big spot. 
But the Niner defense, what happened to them? Considering after Walker threw that interception, you would think that they would have teed off on the backup quarterback and certainly not let him breathe. And he had a terrible game stat-wise as well. But the Niners lose their first game. They were unable to get the game-winning field goal there in Cleveland. So the Niners 5-0 and for their dominant start. Flush that down the tubes. And I'll segue that into my winners and losers of the week. My winner of the week has to be the New York Jets for the four turnover performance there. Jalen Hurts, three interceptions, four overall by the Eagles. And give it up, the Jets have bounced back nicely after that one and three start, losing that brutal game to New England and had a tough break there that Sunday night where they were unable to pull off the upset against the Kansas City Chiefs on a Sunday night. But they beat the Broncos last week. And then yesterday, the upset of all upsets, probably the biggest Jet regular season win as far as I can remember. 20-14, to 14, they did not score in the second half. The Eagles, that is. Jalen Hurts was just very pedestrian, if not very underwhelming. And the Eagles, who have been teetering here to the point where they have not played well throughout the course of the first five games, Notwithstanding Tampa, that was a game where they pretty much were in control of, but they have not been their dominant selves of last year. And not to say that there had to be a carbon copy last year or this year, but it certainly showed in the second half and the Jet defense rose to the occasion to where they were able to get some key interceptions. They were able to get some key scores there late in the game and they were able to prevail and get to 500, 3-3 and and now have an opportunity to get above 500 where they'll play the Giants. This coming week before going into a bye week, which will be, I'm sure, much needed. You also had Aaron Rodgers there on the sidelines throwing a football. And that was certainly encouraging as he's trying to get back to playing toward the end of the regular season. And if the Jets keep this up, they'll be able to. As a matter of fact, the Jets, they have a bye. They play the Giants the week after. So I got my schedule mixed up. Jets have a bye this week. After the bye, they do play the Giants. So my apologies there. But for the Jets here and seeing Rodgers on the field and having a bit of inspiration there and their defense playing like we thought the defense would play and they've had their moments where they have not played well this year. Let's face it, that game in Dallas, and I get it, that could happen to any team. But for the Jets to prevail there was an enormous win for them because it puts them in a position where they could exhale a little bit take a breather, and then come back to play their cross-town, or really their cross-the-hall rivals and the Giants, who did not have Daniel Jones last night. Who knows if he's going to play where the Giants will play the Commanders this week. So who knows? The Jets could come out of this with the bye with an opportunity to be 4-3 and three and have bragging rights here in the local area. And for the Eagles, they were due to lose one of these games, and that was a bad loss, no matter how you slice it. It was on the road, It was against an opponent that was in the other conference, so it's not going to hurt them overall. They are still 5-0 in the NFC. And the same for San Francisco, for that matter, because remember, they lost to Cleveland. So losing to the AFC doesn't really hurt in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the NFC playoff picture, as those two teams on December 3rd will have a collision course, San Francisco and Philadelphia, in Philly. Still plenty of time to go to that, but that's going to be a matchup that a lot of people are going to anticipate. And as far as my losers of the week, the first loser has to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had a bye coming off of that where they had the Lions coming into their building. Very stout opponent. But boy, did they lay an egg. And you had Baker Mayfield talking about how bad the offense was. 
Not to say he was throwing the offense under the bus, but certainly questioned it. And you would think that the Buccaneers, who have gotten off to a surprising 3-1 start, would have been a lot more competitive in their building against a Lion team that has played well. But to only put up six points, and Jared Goff, give it up to him. He's got to be in the front running for an MVP. And I understand it's only six weeks, can't get crazy, yada, yada, yada. But everybody wants to talk San Francisco, Christian McCaffrey, or Brock Purdy. Don't forget that guy in Detroit right now, because he's played well, Jared Goff considering all of the abuse that he took at the very end of his Ram career and then having to go to Detroit and have to struggle in that first season. And now they're starting to really be, I'm not going to go as far as saying a powerhouse, but they are becoming a threat in a team that we're certainly going to have to watch here to see if they belong among the ranks of San Francisco, Philadelphia, etc. But for Tampa, that was just a putrid performance. No matter how you slice it, they got to go back to the drawing board and they actually could have put themselves in good stead in the NFC South, which as we all know is in shambles. But that was a bad one. They're my loser number one. And my loser number two is the NFL. I get it that this is something that they're trying to forecast in the years to come. And when I say years, we're probably looking at least maybe somewhere between, I'll say six to 12 years. And I understand that's a big window and that's a large gap. I get it. But why is the NFL even thinking about flirting with the Super Bowl being played in London? Could somebody answer that? And based on this report, what I read was, is that they want to expand their brand to be global. My question to that is, why? Are they trying to be like the NBA and Major League Baseball, where, as we all know, whether it's in Japan, Asia, or even the Caribbean, as we know, with Major League Baseball and with the NBA, of course, the influx of players, whether it is in Asia or in Eastern Europe, and we've seen the players that have come into this country to be stars, whether your name is Giannis, whether your name is Luka, whether your name is Embiid, we get that. And the NHL, we understand that they're also, to a certain extent, more so in Russia, Czech Republic, Finland, Sweden, we understand that. You're not going to see them in Australia, Asia, etc. But my point is, is that the NFL now wants to go in this direction. And we know that football in Europe and other points of the world is more soccer. Are there any academies? Are there any places overseas that have football teams? And I'm talking about American football. Not to my understanding or knowledge. And how did NFL Europe work back in the 90s? Remember NFL Europe people? Yeah, that sucker did not last. What, three, four years before they had to withdraw and say, ah, this is not working as a summer league, almost like a, I'm not going to say a minor league, but just a training ground for players that want to make it to the NFL to play in NFL Europe in the summer to see if they could latch on to a roster as we get into the latter part of summer and obviously into an NFL season in the fall. I don't think that's going to happen. Why would they even want to go to London? If there's one plus to that, and I have to admit this, is that the game, as they talked about in this article, that the game would be 8.30 London time to where the game would start 3.30 here in the East. That I'm all for. As it is, they should start the Super Bowl on the East at 5 p.m. Have kickoff at 5, have the game over by 8.30 with all the pomp and circumstance of halftime and commercials, etc. Have the game over at 8.30 so we could kind of clean up our messes from the Super Bowl parties, exhale a little bit so we could get to bed 
by 10, 30, 11 o'clock and not get to bed past midnight to where the next day is work. So how I look at it is that is the only plus that I see from the NFL even thinking about remotely having the Super Bowl overseas. So to me, I think that's, and again, this is down the road. It's not like they're going to have the game in London in 2027. I, I get that. I understand. But for them flirting with the idea now, just because they want to expand the brand, there's no need to do that. The NFL is bulletproof. The NFL is the shield, as I've said time after time after time. And it doesn't matter where they play it, what time they play it. Just have it here in the States the way it should be and play it a little bit early on the East Coast because it doesn't matter. They could play this game on the moon at 2 a.m. on a Wednesday and they're still going to get 100 million people to watch regardless. So now let me get off my soapbox and talk about the games yesterday because these games were from hunger yesterday. There were rough watches all over the place. I don't even want to go through these games. It's sad to even say. Seriously, what about the game last night in Buffalo? They were down 6-0 going into the fourth quarter, Buffalo, as if they thought that they could just flick the switch, which they did because they end up winning 14-9 behind Tyrod Taylor under center for the Giants. But boy, that had to be just bored to tears. And I didn't watch a second of it. I'm sorry, I just couldn't. The London game, Baltimore-Tennessee. I was watching that from afar. It was 18-6 at one point. You think I'm going to be interested in watching Tennessee slog their way through a game with Ryan Tannehill? Not this guy. The Thursday night game, I was in Rome at the time, so of course I was asleep when the game was being played because of the time difference. But 16-0, 19-8, nothing exciting there. I understand Taylor Swift back in the box with Brittany Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' wife, if you're wrapped up in that, which you know I'm not. So please, if that's something that's going to tickle your fancy, do you, but that is certainly far from my wheelhouse. These games, Minnesota beating Chicago 19-13. I know Justin Fields left with a injured hand, but that Carolina-Miami, now I'm still alive in my knockout pool picks. I picked Miami there yesterday. I know the flip with the cell phone by Tyreek Hill, he's probably going to get fined for that, as he said in the postgame. But seriously, am I going to get geeked up about that? New Orleans beating, or excuse me, Houston beating New Orleans there yesterday, down in Houston. New England with the ranks of Arizona and Carolina is the worst team in the sport. That was a close game, but Vegas, I'm going to get wrapped up in that. And all the talk about Belichick maybe being gone after this year, I'm not going to get into that, people. I understand that that's been a lightning rod over the last couple of weeks, whether or not Belichick should resign as the GM or as a guy that's going to pick these players and bring a GM in. Is that going to happen? I don't know. And right now, I can care less about the Patriots. So as... There's going to be more traction as we get toward the end of the season. I'll discuss it, but right now, I just can't. I'm sorry, people. But seriously, I'm going to dissect whether or not Bill Belichick's going to be the coach of this team after this year. And I understand his legacy. I understand Belichick and his power and his coaching ranks with Lombardi. And maybe even above, if you're certain people, as being the best ever. But I'm sorry. that To me, that's not a story right now. Six weeks in? Come back to me maybe week 12 and we'll discuss. Arizona at the Rams, 26-9, really? Uh, I mean, these games are just terrible. Washington and Atlanta, big win for the Commanders. I'll give it up to them, but am I going to get just a buzz and just a glow with what the Commanders have done here? I mean, these games are just terrible. Jacksonville, they swept Indianapolis. You can forget about them winning a division if there's any tiebreakers there. And remember, that was Gardner Minshew, not Anthony Richardson, as he's out for the next four to six weeks in concussion protocol. Sorry to hear that about the kid. 
But these games yesterday, all right, the Bengals, wow, all right, big whoop. They won 17-13 against Seattle in a game that, let's face it, is forgettable. And that is your whole schedule. Your buys yesterday were my beloved Steelers and Green Bay Packers. Tonight you have Dallas at the Chargers, which eh, could be good. You have Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator of the Chargers, going up against his old team. But is that a storyline that I'm going to be, oh, I got to watch Chargers Cowboys. And maybe I'll take a peek. I'm going to be wrapped up in more of the baseball game one with the Diamondbacks and Phillies than I'm going to be with Cowboys and Chargers. But this week six schedule is indicative of how the season has gone. It has been an absolute snooze fest. This NFL season has been anything but. Wake me up when we get some action. Wake me up when there's excitement. Wake me up when we got something that we can really sink our teeth into. And understand that every game is going to be a barn burner or every game is going to be a nail biter or every game is going to be topsy-turvy, up and down, back and forth, this way, that way, sideways. I get it. But these first six weeks, oh my goodness, I'd rather watch paint dry. And I understand, I'm going to just call it as I see it. I'm shitting on the NFL right now. I understand that. But please, you can be dying the wool as I am. Don't get me wrong. You could break out the red, white, and blue NFL pom-poms with the logo, the shield, etc. Has this season been riveting at any point? I know Detroit's been a nice story. A very good story. Great. But the NFL does not revolve around what happens in the Motor City. And yes, we could talk about San Francisco, Philadelphia. We could talk about Dallas. That collapsed there against the Niners, which I obviously was did not talk about. I was overseas when that happened. But this season has not been, there's nothing going on. I'm just going to leave it at that because I could just go for minutes on end just battling about. But that's your NFL. We'll talk more about the Week 7 schedule upcoming on Thursday's podcast. As far as college football, the one team that now we have to look out for here as they moved up in the ranks to number 5 in the nation, and that's the Washington Huskies behind their quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., who was a transfer from Indiana, who, if you recall, had that great game a few years back against Penn State and just lit the world on fire. And even against Michigan, I know they had a good start before. That was a game I think he wrecked his knee and tore his ACL before Michigan took over. But he is showing that the Huskies are for real and may be a part of the college football playoff mix when it's all said and done. Talk about a barn burn against Oregon the other day, 36-33, back and forth. Just a flat out one of the best college football games so far this season between Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. And for Penix Jr. to come out on top and for them to shoot up the ranks the way they have, they are going to be a bona fide contender. Now, we know Washington in that Pac 12, they still have a schedule where it's going to get a little bit dicey because they have USC, Utah, and Oregon State. Three weeks in a row starting November 4th through the 18th. And this isn't to say that those are going to be flat out losses or it's going to be a situation where they're going to automatically lose. And mind you, the game before USC, they go to Stanford. Now I understand Stanford isn't a team that are world beaters by any stretch, but that could be a game where maybe... Washington could overlook as they have their sights set on playing USC where Stanford could be that quintessential trap game. But Washington, if they get through that stretch, they're fine. And they can't lose. 
Because as we all know, when we look at the top-ranked teams in the nation, of course, we're looking at Georgia, who is, listen, they have not been the Georgia that we've seen in the last two years, but they're still formidable. They're still the defending two-time champs. They deserve their respect, so they're going to be ranked number one, as we know, followed by Michigan, Ohio State, which they're going to cancel each other out when they play one another. And then, of course, they still have to play Penn State, which I believe Ohio State plays this coming weekend, and we'll talk about that more on Thursday. But for those two teams, one of them are going to get canceled out for the Final Four picture. Then you have Florida State, who looks like they're going to be in good stead. Now we have to wait and see how the rest of the schedule plays out. And again, Thursday, I'll get into more of that at that time. And then Washington. Because we know Penn State is now sixth. Oklahoma with their big win against Texas last week. They are seventh, and they actually have a spot ahead of Texas as they're ranked eighth, followed by Alabama and North Carolina, who have cracked the top ten after beating Miami there on Saturday. So now you have a scenario where you have a lot of teams that are starting to creep up here a little bit and starting to forge a little path. And then you have USC, who have fallen out of the top ten based on that performance there Saturday at South Bend to where Caleb Williams... And you would think, unless he is just hell-bent over the last five, six weeks of this college football season to where he's going to take that Heisman Trophy on her back, he probably threw that away with that three-interception performance there against Notre Dame Saturday night. And Notre Dame coming off of that loss against Louisville, I'm sure that they were revved up, ready to go, knowing that in their building that they wanted to show the world that even though we're not going to be part of the college football playoff mix this year with their two losses, but we're going to show and prove that Caleb Williams is a good quarterback, not the Heisman Trophy quarterback that a lot of people think that he was going to be based on his play here the first six weeks of the college football season. So now you have a scenario where with USC in all likelihood out, and now Washington making their way and creeping up the top 10, it's going to make a very riveting second half of this college football season, which in earnest will start this coming Saturday with a, believe it or not, week number eight. Because as we all know, once we get to Thanksgiving, that's when a lot of the rivalry games, obviously Ohio State-Michigan, that's going to be at the forefront as we know for the third straight year because whomever comes out of that is in all likelihood going to be in the college football playoff final four. But once we get to that juncture of the season, and obviously we still have plenty of time between now and then, as Thanksgiving is what, six weeks away from this coming Thursday? Maybe even less than that. Maybe five weeks. But college football, unlike the NFL, is on and popping. And we're going to lead you along the way here as we get deeper into this month and obviously into November to monitor which teams are going to be at the top four when it's all said and done to see who's going to play in a college football playoff there on New Year's Eve. Now let me lace up my skates and take a trip around the ice as the NHL season has begun. Some teams have played three games. A lot of the teams have played two. If you haven't checked my over-under point totals, go to my YouTube channel. I put it up on there last Tuesday. So yes, I understand I didn't put it on the podcast because I wasn't here, obviously. But if you want to get an idea of which teams I picked, and I actually picked four overs and two unders. So I'll break that down there on my YouTube channel if you haven't seen that. But early on here, just a couple of quick storylines. I know the Bruins are piggybacking off of last year's regular season. They're already out to a 2-0 start, along with the Maple Leafs, who are 2-0. And we talked about the Maple Leafs there in the last podcast there a couple of Thursdays ago, where I talked about them having that big season, maybe 
trying to take that next step as they finally got out of the first round last April in the postseason. And Austin Matthews is showing and proving that he means business coming into this year as he started his season with back-to-back hat-tricks. Six goals in two games. So if you do the math, he's going to have 240 goals before it's all said and done. We know that's not going to be the case, of course, but for Matthews, who's only the fifth player in the 103-year history of the sport to open the season with back-to-back hat-tricks. The other five, three I couldn't even name because that happened 100 years ago, or well over 100 years ago. It was in the 1917-1918 season where three guys did it to start off the year. And Alexander Ovechkin did it in 2017-2018. So there was the 100-year gap between Ovechkin and those three guys. And then now, six years later, you had Matthews do it in his first two games. So the... Maple Leafs off to a flying start. Same for the Boston Bruins. The defending champ, Vegas Golden Knights, also off to a 2-0 start. Good for them. And again, it's not to really get into what's gone on here this first week because to really break down who's 0-2, who's off to a slow start, I guess you could say maybe the Panthers, considering that they were the Stanley Cup representative out of the East. And they're 0-2 as they started both of their two games, I believe, on the road. Where were they? In Minnesota, and I don't remember their second game. They were at Winnipeg, that's right. So they were in the Midwest region here, and of course north of the border there in Winnipeg to start off your season. So the Panthers, off to a slow start for them. But that's all you really got here with the NHL to begin, as we're just getting warmed up, just getting underway for the NHL season. And then lastly, the association begins a week from tomorrow. That's right, NBA will tip off with the double dip with LA, the Lakers that is, against the Denver Nuggets, followed by Phoenix and Golden State, and there's nothing really to report here, I'm not going to get into the James Harden mess, we understand that his relationship with the GM Daryl Morey, which there was a love fest, now it's irreparable, so I couldn't even tell you what's going to happen here over the next seven days before the start of the season, all I got to say is, wake me up when he is traded, if he is traded, Between now and then, now what team is going to get involved to try to bring in an aging, although at times effective, scorer and distributor on the court, but we all know the baggage that Harden brings. They would probably have to get a third team involved in order to make this trade happen, but one more time, wake me up when Harden gets traded because I don't even want to talk about him anymore. And as it is right now, it looks like he's going to start the season in Philadelphia, maybe to try to build up his stock to see if he could get jettisoned sometime in the middle of the year. With Harden, you never know. He is impossible. He is unpredictable. And the Sixers have that hanging over their heads to see whether or not he's going to be a part of this team from either the very start or maybe partway through the season or maybe throughout the whole year. That's going to be a soap opera that we could certainly not get rid of anytime soon. Well, we could certainly get rid of anytime soon, but it seems like it's not going to go away anytime soon. But besides that, you got nothing else with the association. I know the Celtics hired Jeff Van Gundy as a consultant, which is a good thing. Let's see if that could also be a big factor as far as having Joe Mazzulla, who will now go into his second year as coach. And we understand that they got their coaching staff intact with Sam Cassell and a few others there in tow. So for my beloved Celtics, I thought that was a good hire. Let's see if that's going to bode well for a Celtic team that has big-time aspirations to get to the top of the NBA Summit. We shall see. And then, of course, the Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, speaking of marriages, that seems to be going well. 
getting rave reviews by the team, and we would think that they're going to be a team to be reckoned with, not only in the East, but throughout the entire sport. We would think it's going to be a two-team race there in the East between Milwaukee and Boston. I'll have an NBA preview. I want to say a week from today, I'm going to release it. I want to have a separate podcast as opposed to lumping it in with the Monday podcast, but stay tuned. I'll get into more of that on Thursday's podcast as we inch closer to the start of the other fall and winter sport, knowing that hockey is on the way and the NBA is right behind as we could certainly get ready to take it all in, whether it's the MLB playoffs, NFL, college football, hockey, basketball, you know I got you guys and gals covered here on a week-in, week-out basis with the J-Rules podcast as we conclude another episode. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for being a part and participating, just listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Your time is never, ever taken for granted. And I appreciate you carving out your precious time out of your day to do so. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review. Don't be a few stars, write a review just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. I would sincerely appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up, you could do so at the following on my YouTube channel, at J Reels, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, or excuse me, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, on X or Twitter, J Reels 1, just the number, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, please throw them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, sports. I tell you, there isn't a day, time, place, area, you name it, that wake me up three in the morning to start a podcast, your boy will be right there. Because you know I deliver nothing but fire, passion, fury, energy with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.